All right. Sit down. Good to see everybody again. Uh, all of your smiling faces. And uh, we got a, a great smiling topic this morning from the book of Acts. We're going to talk about suffering. <laughs> so that you can go about and have a happy day afterwards. Why don't I go ahead and pray here as we're gathering back together. Lord Jesus, we're, we're delighted to be in your presence this morning and trust that you have good things to teach us, each one of us. We trust that you have our best in mind, that you desire good for us, and yet you have things for us to learn. I so appreciate Jeremy's thought from his quiet time from 2 Thessalonians, that you have a desire for us to have patience and endurance and patient endurance. I think that's so applicable to this concept of suffering. Lord, help us to, to walk into it together. Lord, as I, as I look at our church, God, I'm just reminded that the church is not a building. As much as we love this building that we meet in, we think of a place where we come, Lord, a church is the people. It's the ones who are sitting here this morning. God, you've designed us to, to come together into church for a variety of purposes, and one of those is to share in suffering, Lord. So help us to walk through that, Lord. I, I trust you have good to teach us here this morning. Uh, for what you laid on my heart this week, I, I pray that each one of us would have ears to hear and hearts to understand as we face it here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought I would start this morning. I mean, I got it, yeah. Hopefully it's working. I thought I would start this morning... Uh, you know, Rich was here last week, and you know he always gives sort of the slice of life, as he calls it. That's another richism, the slice of life. And so I thought I would give that as well, not necessarily for the same reason. I don't always do that, but I think it's sort of applicable. So here we go. Here's my slice of life. Some of you may or may not know, uh, I started training in April because I was feeling kind of fat, sitting on the sofa, I thought I need to do something for my health and exercise, and so I said, well, I'll run, but I used to run a little bit more. I was a runner in high school, but I sort of, as I prayed about it and thought about it, I was like, well, why don't I try doing a half marathon? I've never sort of run that kind of distance before, and so I decided I would do that, and so I trained all summer. I know some of you whippersnappers can just get up and and run. I'm looking at you, Andrew McIntosh. I just like run once and then go run a half marathon, but I had to run a lot. But in the course of running and prepping for this, my, my two older boys, Reeve and Josiah, were like, we could run too. I was like, I bet you could, you young whippersnappers. <laughs> so we got them up and there was a 5K at the same time. And so these two guys ran the 5K and they got second and third in their age group, which was pretty cool. Uh, so I, I, I didn't necessarily, you know, I wasn't fast. There were people a lot faster than me, but I set a goal of uh, breaking two hours, and I did. I ran it in 152, which was pretty exciting for me uh, as an old guy. Um, so anyway, I just thought I would share that. I knew some of you knew I was doing that. Some of you, I know Nicole is running next week a half marathon. And, of course, I think I'm all great. And Kenneth went and ran a half marathon up Pikes Peak last week. So... He's one of those young whippersnappers. 
So anyway, some of you, I know, not everybody's a runner, but some of you look at this picture, and the words that come to your mind are pain and suffering. And I understand that. And to some of you, running is probably a metaphor for life. Because when you think about life, you think about the pain and the suffering that you experience. And I think about those things too, right? And when we think about pain and suffering, we're thinking about real, meaningful trials. I'm not talking about first world problems. Oh, my cell phone service quit for 30 seconds. Or... I had to wait. My airline flight to New York was delayed 15 minutes. Right? That's not suffering. I'm talking about the real, deep, hard things. We all have those, don't we? And so we've been in the series on the book of Acts. And as we go into the book of Acts, and as you read the book of Acts, and I know we've sort of been going through this, and this is our last week on Acts before we go into a new series And something that really jumps out at me, I don't know if it's jumped out at you from the page, is that those guys suffered. They had some really hard stuff. They were beatings. They were abandoned. They had death. They had loss. Had really hard stuff going on. And thanks be to God, the New Testament gives us help and hope. In the midst of suffering. And so I wanted to share this morning as I thought about it. I think we did a couple weeks ago. I was talking about, you know, there's different points. I I, I probably come up with ten points on suffering. I'm just going to give you four points on suffering today. And this is not an exhaustive presentation on suffering. But I thought I'd give you four points on suffering. So the first one I wanted to share with you this morning is that suffering and pain are not necessarily proportional to one's faith. Suffering and pain are not necessarily proportional to one's faith. And so we have to recognize that suffering is part of the curse. In Genesis chapter 3, we'll read a verse on this here in a few minutes, but you see Adam and Eve's sin. And as a result of their sin, there is a curse. And in the curse is toil and pain and suffering. And it's a consequence, and we all have to bear that. Unless you think that suffering is not really part of our existence, or I can somehow get away from it, look at what James says in chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He doesn't say, in the offhand chance that you possibly face some trials. He says, whenever. So every single one of us have got to come to grips with the fact that we are going to face trials. Trials and suffering. They can and they will come to all of us. So we also have to recognize that the Bible clearly, I think, very clearly teaches that suffering is not a result of faithlessness. It's not a result of faithlessness. Now there's a number of people out there in the world who teach different doctrines. And they run to this doctrine where they say, oh... Faith is what heals you. And so if you have enough faith, 
you're healed. If you have enough faith, you will have enough money. If you have enough faith, you will not have suffering. And I think the problem is really with the flip of that, which is, if you are suffering, then you go, ah, I don't have enough faith. And I think there's some problems with that. And one problem is that if that's true, if suffering is a result of not having enough faith, then the apostles in Acts were really faithless guys, right? Let's look at what Paul had to say. Paul says this, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Sounds pleasant. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? That does not sound like a guy who does not have trials. Amen? Paul had trials and yet Paul had faith. So to say that faith and trials are correlated, it's not biblical, guys. It's not. Furthermore, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it's one of those memory verses you learn in Mission 1 of Memory Madness when we have it set up in the hallway. It says, faith is not from yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. And so if faith is the gift of God, but let's say that's true, that, oh, faith and suffering are tied together. If I don't have enough faith, then I'm going to have suffering then what we're saying is that God just decided not to give you enough faith and then you're going to suffer. So God basically is making you suffer. It's just simply not true. It would be a very cruel God if he did that. Now yet, we have to remember this also, that suffering can result from our choices. It can result from our choices. Genesis 3.23, here on the screen, I was talking about Genesis 3 and the curse of the Lord. God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And there, suffering enters into human existence. Adam's poor choice resulted in banishment and the curse of toil. And we see this continue on in our own lives and in the world. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Yes, the Lord disciplines us as needed. And so we can suffer consequences from a lack of faith. Or from bad judgment. If you engage in excessive drinking and you go out and you drive a car and you get pulled over and you're given a DUI, there's suffering in that. And that suffering is a result of your choice. But here's the conclusion from all of that 
It's not necessarily proportional to our faith. And yes, suffering does happen from our own choices. And so it's kind of a both and. And yet in the midst of that, whatever your suffering is, God's principles, and we're going to talk about some of those, God's principles for walking through suffering apply. Whether your suffering is something that's a consequence of your sin or not. So what are those principles? One of them is this. I should expect a good outcome from suffering. Isn't that contrary to what the world tells us? The world says, avoid suffering. But we know the Bible tells us that God has something to teach me from suffering. Again, we go back to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, I was given a thorn in my flesh. That sounds painful. A messenger of Satan. Sounds really painful. To torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul suffered. He asked God to take it away and God didn't. And so God's power was on display. And so personally... In my life, personally, what this means is that when I suffer, God is going to be glorified. And God is going to teach me something. There will be a good outcome. There will be a good outcome from suffering. So what is that good outcome? We know that sometimes that good outcome is healing. It is restoration. It is a miracle. It can be. I think we've seen that in our own church family. I think of the Myers struggling with Lyme disease. And God healed them. And God's miracle was on display. And there was a good outcome from that suffering. I think of the Nielsens. They're not here this morning. I think of Michelle. And she's in an ongoing battle with cancer. And yet, she's not out of it. And she's not completely healed there has been healing and she has been able to go on and there is a good outcome as she walks through that and so sometimes that happens and yet sometimes it's simply spiritual growth and change and strength i shouldn't say simply that's really the most important thing is that we're going to grow spiritually and change and have strength some of you may be familiar with the name kara tippets or you may have heard of the blog mundane faithfulness This lady has written books and she lived in Colorado Springs and she was afflicted with cancer. And I don't know, I haven't read everything, but the, the things I have caught that she did write were incredible. And it was obvious the spiritual growth and change that was happening in her life as a result of suffering. And in the end, she wasn't healed and she passed away. And so this spiritual growth is part In fact, I think it's the main part of what comes from suffering. See, if it was only about healing, if it was only about restoration, if it was only about something at the end of my suffering that, hey, it's going to have this physical good outcome, then I would start to worship that good outcome instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's the case... The ramification is that would begin to cut off my compassion to other people and suffering. So I would say, well, if you don't 
If you don't come to some place where you're healed or there's restoration or you're restored, then, ah, whatever, right? And we're right back where we were before. And sometimes, sometimes, that suffering in our own life, it's not just spiritual growth and change and strength through myself. When I suffer, it's for others. Others grow and others change and others get restored and others get to be closer to Jesus because of what I go through. And in addition, it helps me grow in extending grace and compassion to others. And so this brings us to the next point, which is that I should embrace others in their suffering. Romans twelve fifteen comes to mind and says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This is the gospel in action. Grace and truth. This is where we get to be graceful and truthful with others. So how do we do this? How do we rejoice with those who rejoice? And how do we mourn with those who mourn? Think about marriage as an example. A number of you here are married. And if you're like me, you took a marriage vow. And it probably said something like, for better or worse. Right? In sickness and in health. For gooder or worser. Whatever your vow said, right? I don't know what it was. I didn't go to all your weddings. But you probably said something like that. And yet we have an epidemic of divorce in this country. And I believe, I believe, and what I've seen is that much of that divorce that happens is because people are unwilling to suffer together. Recently I read an article and it had statistics from Focus on the Family that said this. It said, in couples that are married... Where a chronic illness afflicts one or the other, the divorce rate is 75%. It also said that in families, couples that have a child who has special needs, the divorce rate is 90%. There's a tremendous need. And that's part of why we're doing the CARES group to try to step into that world and bring hope into challenging situations. And yet I think all of that, what that speaks to is that we go into marriage looking for a suffering-free relationship so many times. And our culture promotes that. Our culture says, hey, when you get married, you should look for someone who's healthy or strong or beautiful or wealthy. Instead of looking for someone who's committed, who's loyal, who's godly, who will suffer with you. So some of you I know, we talked about the singles, and there's a number of you who are singles here, and many of you want to get married or or be married at some point. I want you to think about that as you're thinking about, ah, what, what should I be having in my heart and in my mind as I'm looking to get married someday in the future, Lord willing? I would encourage you to think of this point. And think about, is that person, I'm looking for someone who will suffer with me when suffering comes into my life. And I think you also should look at your own life too, singles, and say, am I willing to suffer with somebody? Am I really willing to suffer with somebody? 
For those of us who are married, it's probably a good chance for a little tune-up in our own marriages and our own relationships and say, am I suffering with my spouse as suffering comes into his or her life? And so here I want to put some examples. Talked about what is suffering and it's not first world problems. But here are some examples of suffering that we encounter in our world today. Think of loss of a child, whether it's your own child or someone in your family or someone close to you. Loss of a parent, whether they're at the end of their life or suddenly. Terminal or chronic illness. Cancer or Lyme disease or other conflictions that, are go, that go on. Infertility, the desire to have a child and to physically be unable to. Financial hardship, we talked about money-wise a minute ago. Many people have financial hardship and they're suffering in the midst of that. Estrangement from family or friends. It's a painful, difficult time, a difficult season. And relationships are broken. Unemployment, being out of work. Wanting to provide and being unable to. Suffering. Loneliness. Being alone. Desiring a companion and not having one. Sexual abuse. Sexual addiction. Suffering. The hands of others. And it's your own hands. Substance. Alcohol. Other addictions. Suffering and pain. Mental affliction. Mental illness and depression and the like. And so all of these are examples of suffering. And as I look out at you all, I think probably each one of you can connect. Probably with one of these. And I chose these. There's probably many more. I chose these because I know there's at least two people in our church who have or are suffering with these things right now. And since this represents our congregation, I just wanted to pause for a minute and talk about what is the point of church? We live in a culture that promotes church, I believe, and the terminology I would use is that it promotes church as an amusement park. Where I can go and kind of get what I need or what I want. And so many times we hear people who say, I want a church where I blank. I want a church where I can, whatever it is. And that's really probably when you say that or someone says that, it's really about meeting selfish needs. But the New Testament doesn't tell us that that's what church is about. It's not about an amusement park of where I go and there's a great show and a fog machine and, and delicious donuts or whatever it is. I think so many people in the culture promotes it as an amusement park because then you can go to it and never connect. You can never share in the suffering of others or have them share in your suffering. When you say, I want to have an amusement park church, you are saying, I can do church without having to engage. And so do you see how marriage, how the culture promotes marriage is the same as how the culture promotes church? I don't want to suffer So I'm either going to not engage with it or I'm going to walk away from it when things get a little difficult and challenging for me. But that's not what we have at the Firehouse Church. Amen? 
so how do we facilitate embracing each other's suffering here at the Firehouse Church? We don't just sort of automatically do this. We have to engage in it as a church. And so how do we do it? We talked about gospel groups a minute ago. And gospel groups are really a place, although they're engaged in reaching and and stepping into worlds and, and meeting needs, they're a place for you to come and share your life and share your suffering and share in the suffering of others. Rich talked about it last week. I really appreciated his take on it. The idea that as we suffer and as we go through challenges and as we make mistakes and we need to learn, we need others to preach the gospel to us again and again and again. Should be why we call them gospel groups. Because that's what takes place in our gospel groups. In addition, we do it life on life. One on one. Someone came in the door uh, a few weeks ago at the end of our service and sort of looking around and ended up coming up to me and said, you know, what, is, what time is church? And, and we were probably 15 minutes after the service was over and this person said, what are all these people doing here? Because I said the service was over. I was like, well, they're life on life. They're sharing life with each other. They're sharing in each other's sufferings and trials and joys. And that's what we do in this church. We think about sacrificing. How do I sacrifice to fill the hole for someone? And there's a biblical principle in James chapter 5. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? It says, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And there is a principle from scripture where God has made it this way. We think, I'll just go to God and get healing. And God is part of the equation, but he has designed it so that we are connected horizontally to each other. And in that connection, we find healing and comfort and care in our suffering. It's how God has designed it. So in addition to gospel groups, in addition to life on life, We have something else. Me and Brad and Rich. And for better or worse, God has raised us up to lead this church and to offer you pastoral counseling. I love it. Many of you definitely take us up on this. And oftentimes I just think you you have a, many of you have a humble and a a servant's heart. And you, you come up to me and you say, well... Greg, I'd like to meet with you to talk with you about something if you have time. I always want to be like, of course I have time, it's my job. Don't ever feel bad about that. I'm no expert, I'm not trained in counseling, but God has placed me here and we trust by the power of the Holy Spirit that Brad and I and Rich will help you somehow. God will help use us in our messed up nace to just help you. Don't be afraid to take us up on that. Don't be afraid. Take us up on that. So as we think about embracing others and their suffering, I came across this quote, and I love it. Watchman Nee was a church leader in China in the 40s and the 50s, and he ended up giving his life on behalf of the gospel in prison. He said this. He said, you can only help others in proportion to what you yourself have suffered. The greater the price, the more you can help others. The less of the price, the less you can help others. As you go through fiery trials, the testings, the afflictions, the persecutions, the conflicts, as you let the Holy Spirit work the dying of Jesus in you, life will flow out to others, even the life of Christ. 
So as we think about embracing others, there's something we have to do. Something I have to do. I have to prepare for suffering in my life. I have to make preparations. I have to learn to rejoice in hardship. And there is a training aspect to this. As I alluded to, I'm not a young whippersnapper. I didn't just go out and run a half marathon. I had to train. I ran almost 250 miles so that I could run a half marathon. Unless we think that hardship is just something, well, it'll just come up and we'll just walk through it. It's the whole point of being together and following Jesus is that we train so that as those things come up, we can walk through them. And we need to rejoice. Remember we said there's a good outcome from suffering and I am going to learn something and I am going to grow and others are going to learn something. They're going to grow and possibly at the end there's going to be healing and restoration. I should rejoice because that's coming and it wouldn't come to us unless there was suffering. And so how do I learn? How do I prepare? How do I train myself? Well, it's the same as anything for walking with God. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. Pray continually. Read the word. Read it every day and apply it to your life. Serve others. Take your eyes off yourself. Had a little retreat with a couple of guys from our church this weekend. And we talked about it. And the phrase that comes back to my mind is serve like you're getting paid for it. Serve like you're getting paid for it. Give sacrificially. Give like the church depends on it because it does. And fellowship constantly. Be in fellowship with your church. That's what we do to be disciples. You want to be prepared to walk through hardship? Then do those things. So that you can rejoice in hardship. And be wise and make preparations. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Proverbs 22, 3. And I love the message because it's funny. A prudent person sees trouble, blind, trouble coming and ducks. It's like it's a bat swinging at you or something. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. I love it. It's like a Dick Tracy story or something. I don't know. And so we're supposed to look down the road and duck. So we don't get clobbered by stuff. Suffering is coming. If it's not in your life now, it will be soon. If it's not what you have in your life now, there will be something new to suffer and have pain for. And so be ready. Be a prudent person. So how? The same things. Read the word. Pray every day, all the time, over everything. Serve others like you're getting paid for it. Give Like the church depends on it. Fellowship with each other. And that's the key. Have a place to go for fellowship and support. And that place is the church. That place is the church. I know a number of you who have gone through deep and difficult challenges recently have found comfort in others. And we've grown as we've gone through a number of situations of suffering here in our church. And we see this example in Acts. So we have Peter, and he's in prison. He's been imprisoned. He's suffering at the hands of the Romans for his faith. 
And all of a sudden there's this miraculous thing that happens and the angel leads him out of the prison and he's out. And in the midst of the suffering, he goes, what should I do? And in Acts 12, 12, and it had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Where did he go in his suffering? He went to the church. He went to the church. And so when you suffer, it's my encouragement to you, come to the church. And again, the church is not the four walls. It is the people sitting right here in this room. And so if you don't have that, come join us. Our family is open to you. You are welcome to be part of this family, to share your suffering and your trials with us. So as I close here, I want to remember Paul said this about suffering. I think it's a great summation of what we were talking about today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, all praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the forefront of all things we do. And he says, Jesus is the source of every mercy. And he is the God who comforts us. Comfort and suffering comes from God. And he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. It's the horizontal relationship. When others are troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And so I hope today as you go away from here, you will think about suffering and think about how as you suffer, you will do so with God as your comforter and God working that out in the horizontal relationship with your church. And by God's grace, as you see others who are suffering in this horizontal relationship, that you will stand as God's ambassador to them. As one who can comfort others in their trouble and extend God's grace to them. Let's pray. God, thank you for laying out a roadmap for us to walk through the challenges of life and the trials and the suffering. And God, we, we declare to you as a church that we stand before you ready to, to suffer with each other and to carry each other through trials. And yet in the midst of that, why we realize we're just a bunch of imperfect people. And we're going to make mistakes. And we're not going to care and provide comfort because our flesh and the world and the devil are going to get in the way. So God, help us to walk in this. Help each one of us to understand and to look to the future and say, suffering is coming and maybe I'm walking in it now and maybe it's going to get greater or maybe other things are going to come through my life. And I need to be trained up and in habits of being a disciple so I can walk through that. And God, help each one of us too to say, God, you've put me here in this church of people, this family, you want me to somehow sacrifice my life to provide comfort to others. I'd help each one of us to see ways, even this week, where we can offer comfort to others in their trouble, and their pain. 
Help us, Lord, to rejoice with those who rejoice as we have joys. Help us to share them with each other. Help us to mourn with those who mourn. Help us to offer comfort and empathy with those who are suffering. Above all, we thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we could be right with you, so we could be reconciled to you, so that we receive you as our Savior. We let you take the penalty for our sins, and by taking the penalty for our sins and receiving that free gift of salvation, we can spend eternity with you in heaven. Thank you for giving us the the tools and the road map and each other so that we can walk through our lives and walk through the trials and suffering that are set before us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.